0: What I'm about to suggest is not inspired, okay? I'm letting you know it's not inspired. But on the way in in the car, I asked the driver a question because about 10 years ago, maybe 12, I had an unforgettable experience in Austin. I think we've had 99 Word Spirit Power Conferences uh, with Jack Taylor, Charles Curran, and myself in the last 20 years. Uh, Jack Taylor died last year. Charles Curran, who's 90, is not well. I'm 87, but I am well. Thank the Lord. I couldn't tell you about over two or three of those conferences that we had, nearly a hundred. There's one I'll never forget. And I I have a reason for suggesting it, but I'm not saying it's inspired, because you'll see why I say that in a minute. The first time I was in Austin, the man met us at the airport, uh, drove us to the church, or to the hotel, But on the way in, he wanted to talk about something that happened in his church some years back, namely a manifestation of gold. And all he could talk about was gold. When we get there, they're talking about gold. And they since had to rip up the carpet for a new carpet, but there was gold embedded in the carpet. And they took a carpet carved a square out about a foot and framed it so they have it there I don't know if the church still exists Uh, I don't know if they still have that framed piece of gold and I'm not questioning it, I think it was real there's no reason for them to lie about it this has actually happened when there was strange manifestations and they told me who the preacher was there's no need to mention his name, he's a good man I don't know him too well, but I know who he is. But he had this manifestation of gold. And then that evening service, when Jack, Charles, and I were scheduled to speak, what we, Jack, Charles, and I would always meet for an hour before the service, pray together, and discuss what we might preach. Well, I told him what I thought I would do. And uh, now we're in the service, and during a time of worship... And I notice in the carpet, I see a piece of gold. So I reached down and picked it up. And it was a little trinket from a a bracelet, is what it was. But I suddenly decided to change my sermon. And I said to Jack and Charles, I said, I told you what I was going to speak on. I've got to do something else. And I'm not sure they're going to like it. Jack and Charles both said, we'll we'll stand with you, whatever you do. Okay. So I stood up to speak. And I mentioned how all the talk about gold. And uh, I said, I found a piece of gold just now. Here it is. How many of you think this was supernatural? How many of you think it's a natural explanation? Well, some said supernatural, some natural. I said, well, it's just a piece of a of a bracelet, that's all it is. And then for 18 minutes I spoke. And Charles Kahn told me afterwards, he said, if ever in your life you were anointed, it was tonight. You never saw anything like it. And I agreed with him. I never felt such power as I spoke. And I admonished them. I said, the reason you're not having gold anymore is because that's all you think about and I spoke about the importance of the word a little bit of what you heard this morning the word is exalted above the name and I quoted Spurgeon who once said I looked to Christ and the dove flew in I looked to the dove and it disappeared the idea being we're supposed to focus on Christ and then you see manifestation but if you focus on the manifestation you won't see it at all I said, this is why you're not having any. Because all you think about is the manifestation. You need to get back to the Word. Jack Taylor told me, <laughs> he was sitting next to the pastor. I have no idea who he is, where he is today. But Jack said, I had to physically hold him, because he's going to stand up and stop you in the middle of your sermon. He was so angry. I found this out later. Uh, I've often wondered about that. The reason I'm mentioning it, I would love to see if that recording is still available. I don't know what church it was. I'm hoping somebody here will say, oh, I know right where it is. And if possible, tell me and find out if that that tape is still available. Because I'd kind of like to hear it myself. (laughs) That's all. That's why I'm telling it. I thought you would forgive me. I asked the driver. I said, I'm out of place. I'm, you know, I'm not saying I'm inspired. I, I, you can see why. I don't say I was led of the Lord to say this. I just wanted to see if anybody knows what church it was. Maybe you've heard of it. Maybe you haven't. It's, it's okay. But, pardon? Cathedral of Praise. So do they still, is it, what is it today? Same thing? Is there a, Yeah, the, saint, yeah. The, the lead pastor that you're speaking of um, has kind of come back a little bit because he he was um, older, and so he turned it over to some, some leaders in his church. And He's he, not the pastor now. He's still there? He's Do they still have the goat on the wall? The carpet. Piece, mm-hmm. Yes, they, yeah. The last time we were there, yes, it was still there. Yeah. Well, anyway, forgive me for this, but I just—I'm not saying I'm, I led. I just was curious to see what's happened, and if—if if the tape exists, I'd kind of like to hear it. And if nothing comes of it, not—not not not to worry. Okay. Forgive me, Pastor, for that. Not everything I do is inspired. (laughs) And if you doubt that, ask Louise. (laughs) verses, 1 Samuel 16, verse 1, which I've read, and then verse 12, which I've read, 13. The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul, since I've rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. Now we drop down to verse 13. And Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him, it's David, in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. May God be pleased to bless the reading And the preaching of this is most holy and infallible word. Brief word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray now, again, for the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus by your spirit to rest upon every person that's in this place in order that their perception of what I say will be received as you intend, that... There's no misinterpretation, misunderstanding. Cleanse my tongue that I will be a transparent instrument to say what needs to be said, nothing that doesn't need to be said. Help me to be clear, simple, and I ask again, this will be life-changing, and a word that brings great honor and glory to your name, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. We dealt a bit with yesterday's man and today's man. There's a lot more that I can say about either, but I think for these 40 minutes, and that's how long I'll speak, I want to deal with tomorrow's man, and uh, how you want to deal with it, I'm happy to answer questions or just sit down and have ministry. You you be led, uh, but I want to talk about tomorrow's man. Now, it has nothing to do with age uh, or retirement being made redundant uh, as I said you can be young and be yesterday's man King Saul 40 I call that very young you can be old and be tomorrow's man Moses was not used until he was 80 So I find that very encouraging <laughs> So we're talking about the anointing. What will make you yesterday's man is that the anointing is lifted. Now here's the problem. Yesterday's man will never admit that he's yesterday's man. Either because he doesn't know he is or is in denial You would think that King Saul, having been rejected, uh, would just resign and say, I've messed up. Because he'd been told by Samuel, he's finished. But he continues on as king, which means he's rejecting Samuel's word. So yesterday's man will probably continue to reject any solid advice. Uh, It could be that he's a Hebrews 6 situation. Now when I jump into Hebrews 6 verses 4 to 6, one or two of you will know what that is, and don't feel bad if you don't, but it's one of the most difficult passages in the Bible, but it's really not difficult, and I hope to explain it in such a way not to be controversial at all. I don't want to be controversial. That's not going to bless anybody. But Hebrews 6, verses 4, 5, and 6 has been a mystery for Calvinists who believe you can't fall away. Hebrews 6 says you can fall away. It says those who are enlightened, tasted of the heavenly gift, made partakers of the Holy Ghost, of powers of the world to come, if they fall away, cannot be renewed again into repentance. So it clearly says you can fall away. But then Armenians, who says you, who say you can fall away, they also believe you can you can be restored. Hebrews six says you can't. It's impossible for those who have fallen away to be renewed again under repentance. So they can't be restored. What's the explanation? Well, I have it, and it's, I'm not boasting. I'm just telling you this is it. Michael Eaton affirmed me to the hilt. He said, you got that exactly right. I I believed it. It was nice for somebody like that to say it. You see, the falling away is not with regard to salvation. It's with regard to the ability to hear God's voice. You see, in chapter 3 of Hebrews, the writer says, if anyone hear his voice, if you hear my voice, It's important to hear God speak. In chapter 5, he talks about those who were dull of hearing. Now, what does that mean? Well, at the natural level, a person's hearing can get worse in stages. Stage 1, I'm there. I'm there right now. My son thinks I should have had a hearing aid a year ago. But if you notice when I talk to you, I might do this. Because if I cut my hands over my ear, I can hear you better. But it's, I'm going to have to get a hearing aid. I can still hear, but not like I could three years ago. Well, at the spiritual level, according to the writer, these Hebrew Christians, you're already hard of hearing. They're at that level. And he's warning them. Because the worst possible scenario would be to become stone deaf. You can't hear anything. I've written a book on Hebrews 6 called Are You Stone Deaf to the Spirit? Or are you hearing God? And so it's very important that you can hear God speak. The worst thing that can happen is that after a certain point of time you reject the warning and you no longer hear God speak. Now this can happen to a true Christian. Uh, Doesn't mean they're unsaved, but they've rejected advice and you can't get anywhere with them. You don't want to say they're not saved. You don't want to say they've never been converted. There are real Christians who sadly get overtaken in a fault Love of money, like Ananias and Sapphira, uh, who just won't listen anymore. That was King Saul. He had been warned, but he didn't listen. Now, in my opinion, the explanation of King Saul is Hebrew 6. He couldn't hear God speak. He didn't take advice. And uh, it got worse and worse for him. And he ended tragically, as you know. So, yesterday's man can still be in leadership. He can still be effectual in some ways. King, the kingship—you see—King Saul even outlawed uh, the demonic. Uh, he put witch, witch, witches, out of business. That shows there was some good in him. At that, except that at the end. King Saul was so desperate to hear any word that he consults the witch of Endor. But he's, he was past it. You know, He couldn't be helped. And uh, I don't think anybody here, and I'm not trying to butter you up, I doubt anybody here is just that he's a man or woman. But understand that it can happen. It doesn't mean you lose your salvation, <laughs> agree or disagree, It's just that you don't hear God speak. Why is this important? Each of you need to be sure you're hearing God. You need to hear. For example, my sermon today, you've heard it already this morning. If you were gripped at all by my teaching, preaching, I would say to you, good. Good sign. You're hearing God. If you were here this morning and you say, I didn't get a thing out of that, went through one and out the other, I would say, not not good. Because I think the majority here believe that my little 40 minutes this morning was a blessing and it was, you, you liked it. It's just an example of what I mean. So in your daily devotions, when you pray, you don't want to go many days. some witness that God is on your case that is with you and that's very important and so yesterday's man is one who could be truly saved he's in leadership place of prominence but unteachable and unreachable now you're not to judge such a person Uh, you could quietly say, I'm not sure that person is hearing God anymore. You don't need to go to him. It's not going to do any good if you do. you will just argue back and you make an enemy. Probably best just to give him a benign neglect and look elsewhere for leadership and so forth. But this exists today. I think it's not very uncommon. I think it's a lot of places, because the church today is in a bad shape, generally. People who not long ago took a stand for important things. Uh, I could name names. I won't. But prominent people who are now marrying same-sex couples. That's just an example. Uh, no longer taking a stand against abortion. Uh and that sort of thing. And they're not hearing God, and uh, their theology is just going wacky. I will say that in my book, Prophetic Integrity, uh, there's a chapter in there, chapter nine, on open theism. Now, many of you will not even know the phrase, but let me explain. It's a theological view, once held only by pantheists, once held by those who 50 years ago, uh, they called it process theology, that God is changing his mind from generation to generation. And uh, God is open to us to know what to do tomorrow. The view of open theism is that God does not know the future, but looks to us for input to know what to do. You heard it right, and, but you see, what I just quoted is more popular than you have any idea. I'm talking about very, very well-known charismatic leaders, not to mention liberals. See, the interesting thing about process theology is that at one time it was only held by liberals. And they, didn't, they don't even believe the Bible. And they're pantheists. Pantheists believe that God is in all. If you want to know God, to go out and look at a tree or grass or animal or one another. That this is, this is God, pantheism. Now they tried to give it a theological dress by calling it panentheism. God is in all. It's supposed to sanctify it a bit. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. My seminary professor, who was once brought up strong evangelical here in Texas, said publicly, I went from fundamentalism to Karl Barth, from Barth to Paul Tillich, from Tillich to process theology, and now I don't know what I am. And he was my professor At Southern Baptist Seminary years ago. That was when Southern Seminary was very liberal. Today they're conservative and they've rejected all that. So you need to know Southern Baptist Seminary today is solid theologically. But I was there when it wasn't. And it gave me a taste of what liberalism is. Now, about 40 years ago, a very prominent Charismatic leader introduced open theism to a strongly evangelical seminary in Pasadena, California. Fuller Theological Seminary. It started by Charles Fuller, the evangelist. I used to hear him as I went, grew up. Strong, strong. When he started the seminary, it was solid. But then his son took over. And then he died, and now others have come in. And the, the dangerous thing about open theism is, whereas it was once held by only liberals who deny the virgin birth, deity of Jesus, it's now held by people who want to hold on to the Bible and also believe that God doesn't know the future. So it's, it's, they've taken a sub-Christian view into their thinking. And if you knew the names of strong charismatic leaders who now hold to this, you'd be shocked. I'm not going to tell you, but I'm telling you the truth. It all started by this prominent charismatic leader who taught at Fuller and introduced open theism and it is swept right across the board. Now, To be tomorrow's man, you must have the anointing and you ought to be able to recognize this so that you can warn people of it. And um, as I know you know, I'm 87 years old. I don't know how long I have to live. I could live a year or two. Maybe God will surprise me. But in the days I have left, I want to be a blessing and say everything that I can before God takes me to heaven. Mm -hmm. And so I am warning these days of open theism. Now if you have the anointing and you're waiting on God to work, uh, just be patient. Here's my word to anyone here who feels you have unfulfilled duty unfulfilled promise, unfulfilled prophecy, and you believe that God has spoken to you, and you're waiting for your time to come, uh, I would say this is the way it is with tomorrow's man or woman. So when Samuel pours the horn of oil on David, if only he had said, David, it's going to be another 20 years before your king, so that David wouldn't be too surprised. But there's no warning. Samuel just goes somewhere else and David now has this unusual anointing. The evidence of it is when he killed Goliath. And uh, it becomes very, very popular. And, uh, and King Saul is so thrilled with David Oh my, He makes him captain in the military. Uh, he's, he's very prominent. But then what happened is that we're told that the maidens, I don't know why they mean refer to them like that, but that's what it says. Uh, they took their timbrels, uh, tambourines and instruments and they began to sing. Saul has killed his thousands. But David, his tens of thousands, you know, people can be so insensitive. You don't realize how sensitive leaders are. And they get nervous if you see somebody else you like a little more. And uh, Saul immediately said, "Uh uh-oh. They're saying David kills his tens of thousands, but maybe only thousands. What more can David get? The kingship. And from that moment, from that moment, Saul is determined to kill David. You would have thought, you see, had he heard from God, you would have thought he would say, look, I've messed up, and I want Israel to be blessed of God. And I'm, I'm resigning as king. No, no, no. He d- dug his heels in. And uh, so yesterday's man uh, doesn't hear from God. Tomorrow's man has got to be shrewd, careful, sensitive. And here is David. One day he's looking after the sheep. The next day he's the future king of Israel. He's got the anointing. But no crown. He's got the anointing, but no following. He's got the anointing, but no platform. And maybe you feel that way, that God has blessed you. And you think, I've got something to say to the world, but the world won't hear me. But maybe the world will one day, in the same way that God could use Joseph's gift of prophetic dreams and make him Prime Minister of Israel. God can take what you've got. He's looking for somebody who's willing to be a nobody and do whatever God tells him. It may not be something that makes your ego feel strong. It may not appeal to your pride. But if you can reach the place where all you live for is the honor and glory of God. Now, this is what David had to learn. The truth is, David, we think, is around 17 years old now when he's got this anointing. He's not ready to be king. He's had no training. I mean, he could take a sling and kill a giant. He's a musician, and he can play the music and and help King Saul go to sleep. And he's a poet and uh, greatly gifted. But he's not ready to be king. And God's way of preparing David was to be shrewd and learn his ways around King Saul. It's a very interesting verse. It says that in the King James Version, David behaved himself wisely in all his ways. Interesting verse. Because he knew Saul wanted to kill him. And all he did now is to to avoid King Saul. He's going to learn a lot of things. This is the way God would train him to be the next king, and it may be that you are learning things that you think don't matter, but why would God put you there? I came back from Trevecca Nazarene College uh, many years ago, having had a Damascus Road experience. Uh, It wasn't my conversion, but it was my baptism in the Spirit, Happened on October 31st, 1955, driving in my car. I saw the person of Jesus. It was a vision. It wasn't literally him getting in the car with me, but it, was, it couldn't have been more real if he had been. I mean, it was more real than you are right now. And I saw the face of Jesus. And I entered into a rest of soul. And for months and months and months, the presence of God was so real. I had visions. But my theology changed. I won't go into the change because I could, by doing that, cause theological controversy with you, because I don't want to do that. I don't know exactly what your theology is. But in my case, it meant that my future would not be with the Church of the Nazarene very long, because that was shown things that went right against Nazarene theology. And my own dad is a godly man, uh, said, son, you've broken with God. I said, no, Dad, I'm closer to God than ever. He says, prove to me, prove to me that you've not broken with God. Well, I was desperate to say something. and I wanted to please my father. I said, well, I will say this. I shouldn't have said it, but I did say it. Uh, I said, God's going to use me one day and I described a vision I had, and I knew in those days I'd been given a vision of a ministry that would go around the world. I mean, around the world. And here I was, a, a Nazarene. I was a nobody. But I knew I was gonna be used around the world. I shouldn't have told that to my dad. I was just desperate, to trying to make it feel better. And so he hear, hears me, then he says, when? I said, one year from now. Would you put that in writing? Sure. So my sad dad goes gets get a sheet of paper, write IRT, Kendall Wolf, from the day state, be one year from now, so forth. I signed it. I thought it would happen in three months because it was so real. Uh, you know, I didn't know how God was going to do it, but it would happen three months. A year from then, I wasn't even in the ministry. <laughs> I was selling baby equipment. Five years later, I was selling vacuum cleaners door-to-door. People would go up to my dad and say, Mr. Kendall, how's R.T. doing these days? Oh, he's a door-to-door vacuum cleaner salesman. What? I didn't hear you, Mr. Kendall. What's our? Right? He's a door-to-door vacuum cleaner. What? He's a door-to-door vacuum cleaner salesman. My dad was so embarrassed. See, all the other students at Trevecca were out pastoring churches. What was R.T. doing? Hello. I'm R.T. Kendall. I've come to show you something new and different for your home. And i sell vacuum cleaners. Oh, when T.R. was born, I was a vacuum cleaner salesman. Nobody would have had put any stock in my future. There was no hope. But then, things began to change. And uh, 22 years later, not one year later, 22. My father, on a train coming from Edinburgh, Scotland coming into King's Cross Station, London. My dad looks at me on the train and says, Son, I'm proud of you. You were right. I was wrong. I'm now minister at Westminster Chapel and preach all over the world. But there was no hope for that. And I'm saying that to encourage you. I'm not meaning, I hope you don't take me wrong. I'm not trying to boast. I'm just saying I had to wait Because in those days I was tomorrow's man. I knew I had an anointing. I knew that. I knew that God was going to use me. I didn't know how. I didn't raise a little finger to make anything happen. Didn't pull any string. Didn't use any connection. It all just fell in place, you know. I could go into detail tell you. I wasn't ready for worldwide ministry back in those days. But God knew what I needed to be prepared. And so I encourage you, if you believe, your time is not up yet. God is not finished with you. It may be a small work, a great work, but your time will come. Now I've got 15 minutes left. I want to give you three things that I believe David knew he needed Or he may not have known he needed, but he found out what he needed. He wasn't ready to be king. He needed to be taught some things. The first, he needed to learn what I call the sensitivity of the Holy Spirit. Here's how it happened. David had a chance to kill King Saul. Saul. He's in his cave relieving himself. David was further back in the cave. And his aide said, David, David, come quick, come here. King Saul is over here. You can kill him. You can be king right now. David said, well, let's not kill him. But David went up while Saul was in a deep sleep. And takes a knife or scissors or something, and cuts off a piece of King Saul's robe. And I don't think anybody would think that's a bad thing. But you know what? Right after that, David said, what have I done? What have I done? Oh, I've just touched the Lord's anointed. He still regarded King Saul as the Lord's anointed, even though we knew all these things about him. Because God put him there, and David respected that. David's conscience hurt him. What was going on? David was developing a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. Let me give you some elementary things about the Holy Spirit. Now, we all know that the Holy Spirit is often depicted as a dove. Dove. The dove comes down on Jesus. But what you may not have noticed is that when the dove came down on Jesus, the dove remained on him. The dove comes down on me, and I think, wonderful, Lord, praise God. An hour later, I think, what happened? The dove just flew away. You see, the dove is a very shy bird. And uh, at the natural level, uh, you can't get close to a dove. Did you know pigeons and doves are in the same family? Anatomically, there's no difference between a pigeon and a dove. A pigeon is a fat dove. (laughs) But same gallbladder, same spinal heart, everything. Exactly the same. But they are different in temperament. You can train a pigeon. You cannot train a dove. You can reach down, pick up a pigeon... I've got a picture of T.R. when he was six years old in Trafalgar Square in London with four pigeons on each arm and two on his head. He thought he'd gone to heaven. (laughs) But you couldn't get a dove even come near Trafalgar Square. A dove is very, very sensitive. And you see, a pigeon is boisterous, gets angry. I heard somebody say, you should have been in church Sunday. Holy Ghost came down. You get to the bottom of it, it was pigeon religion. <laughs> pigeon is example of the counterfeit Holy Spirit. In the same way that a lot of us can't tell the difference between a pigeon and a dove. If you saw a pigeon out there, you'd say, that's a dove, Or if you see a dove, you might call it a pigeon. And some don't know the difference between the counterfeit Holy Spirit and the genuine Holy Spirit. And we need to learn God's ways. And so what David was learning is to develop a sensitivity to God's ways. It bothered him, what he just had done. Cut off a piece of Saul's robe. Most people say, David, don't worry about that (laughs) that's a good deal well done shouldn't have done it shouldn't have done it and so when you're tomorrow's man there will be things that bother you that don't bother somebody else you're being prepared your time will come and it's being patient in a time like that well that's the first thing that I refer to there's another thing David needed to learn and that's the importance of being grateful and being thankful. And here's something that you may not have thought about. In the next 20 years, even though David was waiting for his time to come, he was being used of God. Did you know a bunch of the psalms you read were written while David was still you know, tomorrow's man. And While you're waiting, God can use you. David couldn't have known that when he's writing a psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want as a shepherd, that one day that would be part of the canon of Scripture. You never know what God might do with you and use you. And so what you find in the psalms, he wrote most of them, one psalm after another, Give thanks to the Lord, bless his name. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving. Enter into his courts with praise. The Psalms again and again and again showing thanks to God. David needed to learn to be thankful. Years ago, when at Westminster Chapel, uh, the way we did it in those days, we went through a book in the Bible. And one of the books we did was Philippians. It took two years in Philippians. And when we got to chapter 4, verse 6, I was preaching one day on this text where Paul says, uh, do not be anxious about anything, um, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your request be made known to God I had prepared that sermon all week but the phrase with thanksgiving I mentioned but didn't make much of only one time in 65 years of preaching and one time during my 25 years in London did this happen which it happened more often But that morning, as I was preaching Philippians 4, 6, when I hit the phrase, with thanksgiving, in a second, all of a sudden, my whole life came before me. And the Lord showed one thing after another. What he had done for me, and I wasn't showing thanks to him. And I was so convicted, I was so miserable, that as I'm preaching, I was just quietly preaching, pre- quietly saying, God, help me, help me. Get over this sermon. Get me to get it finished, finished, quick, quick. Trying to preach and say that. That's what had happened. That was exactly what was happening. Lord, help me to finish this sermon. I've never listened to the tape. I'd be interested to see how I was managed to say what I had to say. As soon as that sermon was over, I went into my vestry on my knees, and I began to repent like I've never repented in my life. And the Lord would show one thing after another. For example, he said, RT, you're from Kentucky minister of Westminster Chapel. Are you thankful? Well yes Lord. He said you didn't tell me. Well you know I'm thankful you didn't tell me. He said and remember, remember those days at Oxford when you came up you were educated in Kentucky you had no preparation for the British system and all these people around you clever, brilliant, and you're one of them, and you're afraid you won't pass. You passed. Are you thankful? Well, yes, Lord. You didn't tell me. I said, Lord, you know I'm thankful. I cannot tell you all the most obvious things. I just well, Lord knows I'm thankful. He said, you didn't tell me. I made a vow that day, and this is why I share this with you. That was 30-some years ago. I made a vow that for the rest of my life, I would be a thankful man. And I can tell you, I've kept that vow. I keep a journal. I can tell you where I was April the 7th, 1987, at 5 o'clock in the afternoon. It's just something I do. No reason you should do it, but it's just something I do. But what I do, every day I go through my journal and look at yesterday's events. What happened yesterday? Well, thankfulness that the plane was on time yesterday. Just a small thing, but thank you. Not only on time, but with traveling mercies. Taken to the hotel. Lovely hotel. Thank you, Marco. Went out to eat last night. I'd be ashamed to tell you what we ate. It wasn't Burger King. (laughs) Thank you, Lord. This morning, I woke up. Thank you for the sleep. Louise and I, every day, thank the Lord for at least three things. Takes about 10 seconds. All you're doing is saying thank you. Mayo Clinic. Ever heard of Mayo Clinic? Several years ago, it came out with a statement. You ready for this? This is Mayo Clinic. Thankful people live longer. They're not going by medicine. They're going by statistics. They've just found thankful people live a long time. If that doesn't get you going, I don't know what will. My point is, David wasn't ready to be king. He needed to develop a certain understanding that he would be ready. Dr. Mark Lloyd-Jones used to say to me, the worst thing that can happen to a man is to succeed before he's ready. God was going to make sure that David did not succeed before he was ready. King Saul wasn't ready. Overnight he falls. He's not ready for it. He was promoted to the level of his incompetence. See, God never wanted Israel to have a king in the first place. But he gave him a king. As the book of Hosea says, I gave you a king in my anger, I took him away in my wrath. But now that they're going to have a king, God raised up David, made sure that. Being tomorrow's man, he was ready. Amen. Developed a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. He became a thankful man. He talks about mercy and thanks all through the Psalms. He learned this. And third, he needed to learn the importance of the word mercy. Mercy. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. His mercy endures forever. Mercy, what's that? That's when God gives you what you don't deserve. Or the difference between grace and mercy, grace is when he gives you what you don't deserve, mercy is when he doesn't give you what you do deserve. We deserve wrath, punishment, and God just shows mercy. David couldn't have known that one day he's going to need that word mercy. Oh, would he ever. After he becomes king, he falls with Bathsheba, adultery and murder, and he feels horrible. Psalm 51, first word, have mercy on me. You see, when you learn to develop mercy, and what God is doing that will make you thankful this is what David needed to learn now you that are yesterday's men and women I'm not in a position to say why God is withholding success if that's the right word or you're not coming into your own yet but he's got a pride for everyone as though there were no one else and all you need to do is to be faithful in that which is least. And God will use you. Your time will come. By the way, when is the last time you asked God for mercy? Did you know that that's the first thing you should ask God for every time you pray? Hebrews 4.16 Let us come boldly under the throne of grace that we might obtain Mercy and find grace to help. You say, well, surely not, R.T. That's what you ask for when you get saved. God be merciful to me, et cetera. Whoever told you you outgrow that? Mercy. When's the last time you asked God for mercy? Monaco? you're my friend, I think. I've never asked you for mercy, have I? I don't intend to. (laughs) But if I ever do, it's because I'm in bad shape. I say, have mercy. Years ago, Louise and I were driving in Miami Beach, Florida. We are driving in front of the famous Fontainebleau Hotel. Enjoying the sights. I was driving 35 miles per hour. And I'm coming to a green light. It turned yellow and then red before I know it. And I look in the rearview mirror, and there's a blue light going on and off. I pull over. I know what I've done. I went right through that red light. I go back to the policeman. He's sitting like this. I knew that he knew that I knew what I'd done. <laughs> you see, sometimes you can say, why would you stop me? What have I done? But I knew, and he knew I knew. I just walked back to him. I said, look, you got me. Please don't give me a ticket. He said, why? I said, well, i appreciate it. <laughs> he said, sir, you went right through that red light. You just went right through that red light. And you're asking me not to give you a ticket. Give me one reason. I said, well, where we live, I think the, when the light turns yellow, it stays yellow just a little longer <laughs> than it did here. And it turned red, and I was going 35 miles. per. He said, the speed limit is 25. <laughs> Now he can arrest me for something he hadn't even stopped before. (laughs) I thought, good land, how much more is he going to find? I just stopped. Please don't give me a ticket. Give me one reason. No reason. I'm asking for mercy. He gave me back my license. He says, go on. Let me go. I'll never forget how I felt. You see, God owes us nothing. We're living in a day everybody feels entitled. No. We ask for his mercy. I'm finished.